My son, Ryan, as you know, he's our operations manager here. He's probably going to take over for me when I eventually do decide to fully retire. But he belongs to a peer group of second, third generation manufacturing leaders. And he came back a couple of weeks ago and he said, yeah, I told my peers at my peer group the other night that I don't know what my dad does. I think all he does is quoting in the payroll. I, I mean, <laughs> I bust out laughing because he doesn't know anything. What do you mean? <laughs> he left at four o'clock the other day. I was here till six. You order lunch too. Yes, I order lunch too. Yeah. I didn't realize you do anything more than those three things well, either. So. <laughs> then you're pretty oblivious to things so, and I'm not surprised. Supply chain is a big deal right now. Oh my God, it's awful. It's hard to get parts. It's hard to get machines. What is going on in your world right now with supply chain, Jim? Well, a supply chain, I can get cutting tools, thank God, yeah. from Zangers, but I'm having a really hard time getting materials. That seems to be like a huge problem right now. Well, quite frankly, in the 41 years in business, I've never seen it so crazy, but it's about three times longer than it used to be right now to get material. You know, I think our partner Zometry has a solution for that, don't Absolutely. They? And I was going to get to that, Jason. I just got an email the other day from somebody that I know at Zometry, and they're promoting their new supplies partnership that they have. And they are offering people like myself that own machine shops, you can buy your raw material. Let's say you've got $100,000 in aluminum that you need to buy. You can buy it from Zometry. They will hold it for you at that cost. And then all I got to do is call and say, hey, man, can you ship 25% of that to me? And then it sits on my floor. And then I have 90 days, same as cash, to pay for that. So I'm pulling my inventory from Zometry. It's not scattered all over the shop floor. And it sounds like an awesome thing. It's basically like a Kanban system. What is a Kanban? I've heard that many, many times. You just described it. Is so, that exactly so what it instead is? instead of you being stuck with all the inventory right now, you trigger the shipment when you need it. Well, it sounds like a fantastic idea. I know I've talked to Ryan about it already. We're ready to call Zometry next week and give them an order or at least get an RFQ for some big aluminum orders we have coming up. And as a matter of fact, you, the Metalworking Nation, can try too. And Jason, what's that landing page number? So you go to Zometry, X-O-M-E-T-R-Y dot com slash making chips and you get 10% off. Sounds great. Awesome. Welcome to Making Chips. I'm your host, Nick Golner, and I'm here with my friends and co-hosts, Jim and Jason. It is now time for Sexy Lady Voice. Let's go. If the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metal Working Nation. This is Making Chips, where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts. Let's make some chips. All right. We're here. We're at car. We're recording. We are. Sunny. We're actually getting some warm weather this time of year. It's been the slowest coming of spring I've ever felt my entire life. And that's been a lot. Yeah. It was pretty jarring when I got back from spring break in California to come back to this cold Chicago weather. Yeah. It was snowing and it shouldn't Monday. be snowing anymore. It snowed Monday. So you've been coming to the shop, Jim. I have. How many years? How many years have you been reporting in to car? Almost 50, right? 41. 41. Yeah. So I have a question for you. Yeah, go ahead. When will your 
great resignation be? Do you know? I don't know, quite frankly. When his head hits keyboard. <laughs> it's all very confusing, quite honestly. It's a tough dynamic in my life right now, but I'll figure it out. It's not hard to figure out. It's just, what are you going to do and when are you going to do it? Do you think you're going to be one of those people who can retire? Yes. And you won't be like, oh, I got to be doing something with work. I got to go back to college. I already told you my theory on this. I don't plan to retire. Yeah. I was going to ask you. Until I'm forced and they're like, right. you know what, Jason? You're losing it. You're causing disruptions. I don't think you're on the ball. <laughs> Once I've told that, then maybe I'll step back. So that could be like next week. It could be. You just <laughs> no. never know when that time will come. And you I know, mean, it, it changes, ebbs and flows a lot during the months and the years as you approach a number. But yeah, I mean, I plan on working for a long more time, but I was really surprised when my dad retired. Yeah. To be yeah. honest with you. I mean, because he was always a guy. He showed up every day that he was supposed to, always on his feet all day long, mm -hmm. serving clients. I mean, and I thought I you never, were going to say serving drinks. No, serving, well, he would. I mean, you know, honestly, if we had a bar at it, and Zenger's was a hop, happening place. I mean, shop owners and foremen coming in at the counter at one time. I mean, we should have had a yeah. beer tapper there or something like, like that. Like the boring bar at making chips. Exactly. I never thought that he was going to retire, but he did. And I offered him a job, straight commission, outside sales. He hasn't done anything with that. He hasn't so. taken the bait. No, yet, huh? he, has, he hasn't done anything. So like, I'm just surprised. He's like fully retired, riding his bike, hanging Listen, out with my mom. You if know. he wants to work, he knows where to come. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. Did you have to go through a time where before your dad took off, you said, all right, I got to do a big brain dump. Everything that I need to know that I'm not thinking about, how do I get that out of your head and into mine? Yeah. So it's funny because... I had this conversation with one of my biggest clients and also a very dear friend of mine. And I was like, you know what I just realized the other day? My dad never actually taught me anything. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like He just threw me to the wolves and I just figured it out. And that's the way that I've operated my entire career is I've just figured it out. Give me a problem. Yeah. I'll figure it out. As far as my dad sitting down and being like, this is this, this is that, well, like a teacher. I didn't get that either. I think that's how he taught me things, though, is to just put me in positions where you have to figure it out. Right. But like there was just no teaching. And one of the things that he told me, this buddy of mine, he was like, yeah, that's kind of the German way, you know, yeah. just like throw you to it and just, have you figure it out. <laughs> they'll come begging for help if they need it. Right. But it's like <laughs> so many people nowadays, they expect this formalized teaching program. And that's not the way that I learned. Yeah. So I would assume that this great resignation that you asked me about or retiring has some similarity yeah. to, to this episode. Today. Yeah, yeah this, we're trying to replace you on making chips. Well, this oh, okay. episode is, okay. is from my generation's perspective. There's so much wisdom we need to extract. As much as we give you a hard time and joke with you, like yeah, before you leave and retire, I want to pick your brain. And I have about 50 people on that list. I don't want them to be gone on some boat somewhere and me wonder, man, what would they do here? Or I wish I would have asked them that. So that's what this episode's about. How to extract the wisdom from your colleagues before they retire. I think this is a very good subject to talk about. I've got some thoughts on this. And one of the biggest thoughts that pop into my head is, hold it, hold it. All right. I have to get into manufacturing news, but I want to hear that thought. So we always do some news and I've got some interesting news. You talked about Germans. I was with a CEO of a major machine tool uh, manufacturer. You, you mentioned this to me. Yeah. offline the other day. So Germany will be announcing soon, according to this gentleman who is in the know, that they are in a recession. Wow. That Germany is in a recession? Yes. The really? largest economy in Europe. And so my article is from the 13th of April, so recent. I'll just read it. It's from the Financial Times. The EU ban on Russia energy would spark a sharp recession in Germany. 
Top economist forecasts 400,000 jobs lost. This could offer Olaf Scholz cover to resist full embargo, including oil and gas. What that means is a full EU embargo on Russian energy would trigger a major recession in Germany, sending output down 2.2% next year and wiping out more than 400,000 jobs, according to the top economic institutes in the country. The new forecast released on Wednesday was more pessimistic than most of the earlier economic studies, and it could give cover for the Chancellor Olaf Scholz's government to push back against calls for an immediate ban on Russian oil and gas imports. Those are imports where Germany is heavily reliant. The EU last week agreed to ban coal imports from Russia from August. Some member states have called for the bloc to go further by banning oil and gas imports, but Berlin has resisted such a move, arguing that it would be too economically damaging for German businesses and consumers. Five of Germany's top economic research institutes predicted that if all energy supplies from Russia were cut off instantly, growth in Europe's largest economy would slow sharply from 2.9% last year to 1.9% this year before shrinking 2.2% in 2023. If gas supplies were to be cut off, the German economy would undergo a sharp recession. So I want to talk about the numbers here and the usage of words. So like the numbers that were used, 400,000 jobs, okay? Yeah. And then you use the word sharp, okay? Sharp recession. That makes sense to me. But when I look at 2.9% last year to 1.9% this year That's only, before shrinking yeah. to 2.2. That doesn't no, seem like No, before a lot. shrinking 2.2% more in 2023. So, But those are small numbers. I don't know. I'm not an economist, but obviously a recession is when growth is slowing. And sure, I don't know if 2.2 year over year is a dramatic slow or a dramatic yeah. recession. It or, just doesn't sound like... It doesn't. It, 400,000 sounds bad. But you know, things are supposed to be... Obviously, increasing over time. Right. And of so, when they're going down by that much, that's not just kind of leveling off or barely going down. Maybe it is steeper than it feels. I think you're the new guy with the recession obsession. Instead <laughs> yeah, of me, you go, I'm gifting it to you. Yeah, give it to him. Well, it's yeah. like, so why are we talking about Germany? This is a primarily North Yeah, because American. they're back to the United States. Well, so we're making chips, right? And yes. where are the machine tools primarily built? Japan, Germany, Europe. Uh, Germany is Europe's largest economy. If we don't think this is going to trickle into our economy in the machine tool world and the machining world, we're crazy. Well, but if, okay, so like, let's just say shops stay hot, maybe this is going to open up some capacity for being able to get machine tools quicker than what manufacturing leaders had anticipated. Right. So maybe that could be good for us. Yeah. Maybe it gives us a nice little, uh, I guess, break or ease in the madness. Cause right now, I mean, everybody's struggling to get inventory out to shops like Jim's. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how long does it take for you to get a machine tool right now, Jim? God, it could eight months to a year. Right. But if there's some German... On average. So if there's some German manufacturers that are canceling orders, that could be good. Sure. I think at the end of the day, it's like the world is so connected and some of these major countries are some of the largest exporters, regardless of what's happening in Russia and Ukraine and everyone trying to slap the wrist of Russia and say, hey, here's what we're going to do about what you're doing. It's just too connected. There's too many domino effects. I agree. So it's a mess, and it's not easy to figure if out. If Germany does plunge into a true full-blown recession, it's going to have some impact on the U.S. economy, without a doubt. Well, no one doubt, thing the article said was that this would have a bigger impact than the pandemic did. Oh, wow. To Germany. Interesting. If they had a full embargo on all Russian imports, mm -hmm. it, like all Russian energy imports, it would have a bigger impact on the German economy than the pandemic had. Wow. I'd love to bring on an economist and find out how this yeah. is going to affect Yeah, because I'm United certainly States. not one. I'm like you. I see these numbers. Like, what really does that mean? How sharp is that? But right. I hear recession. I hear Germany. I'm, I'm a German immigrant. We have a company in Germany. This is important. This matters to me. Yeah. So I'm just a guy managing a tooling distributor. 
But if you were to tell me my sharp decline is going to be from 2.9% growth to 1.9% growth, I'm going to be like, all right, I don't like it as much, but I'm not going to cry about it. But yeah. I'm not, so I'm not running a country. You right, know what I right, mean? Yeah. So I don't know the implications of that. I'm a little naive in what I'm saying, but 400,000 is a lot. 400,000 yeah. jobs. Well, speaking of being naive, I'm ready to get into the episode. Yeah, let's do it. Not enough, but there's a lot of young people in this industry that quite honestly are just naive about certain things because a lot of the stuff takes time. It takes experience. So I wanted to read a couple statistics before we jump in and talk about what people kind of in my category, my generation can do to really pull the wisdom out of our soon to be retired peers. So the median age of machinists. I just read that. Okay. So Jason, wow. have you read it? Don't read it. What do you think it is? I did read it, okay. but, I, but, I, but I can be honest. I can be honest. Before I read this, I would have thought that the median age was more like mid fifties. Yeah. Mm. It's actually not as bad. It's 45. It's dropped. Yeah. It's dropped, that's, which is a good thing. It's a, a really good thing. Good but thing. that's the median age, I right? Know. So like all the youngsters that are balancing that out, there's a lot of people in that category. That, in that older category. Yep. So, wow, well, I think my shop's like 30. Yeah. Yeah. And that's good. That is really good for you. And that's something that like a lot of other shops should be aiming for that younger demographic to learn from the older demographic. Three or four key, key machinists that run key machines all retire. retire. And mm -hmm. so we're getting them so replaced. So that tribal knowledge is yeah. out the door. Well, that's one of the things I'm concerned about. That kind of brings me to like one of my issues that I see is, and it could be solved through good processes and good ERP systems, but there's a lot of like job tribal knowledge that I see when I go to shops. It's like, okay, well, Joe knows how to run this job. Mm -hmm. And when Joe leaves, then we're kind of screwed. Right, right. Is that one of your bigger concerns? Absolutely. As really okay. and, and I've okay. got some potential solutions. I'm sure you guys have some thoughts later in the show. Well, I will tell you quickly, and this is not a plug for Pro Shop. But well, let's it, plug them. It's a plug for Pro Shop. And since I've been using Pro Shop, we are extracting that tribal knowledge from our veteran machinists. Yeah, and you codify it. Yes. So that's one of my potential solutions. So you just yeah. jumped ahead, but you're right and on. The 25-year-old apprentice that's running that job sees that tribal knowledge logged in to ProShop and all the notes. Do you have the more, let's just call them the more wise machinists that know how to do that job in their head? Do you get pushback from them documenting it? No, it's not a natural thing for right. Us, I'm including myself to do is document all of the setups mm -hmm. and all the information. Like we call it standard work. What's the standard work? Silly stuff. Like if you've run a job for five years and you know that tap magic works best when you're tapping a M8 tap in the machine rather than using the coolant. And you're like, I got to call Zengers and get some more tap magic. <laughs> yeah. There you go. I mean, it's just that kind of information that is important and it needs to be documented. We've talked about this before, but specifically what you do in ProShop is every element of the process has standard work documentation where you can yes. describe it. So anytime you pull that job up again, you have basically an instruction and manual. There's process development too. So if you're running the job, Nick, and you think that next time we do the job, we could change this, this, and this, you create a process development log to help the next guy. Maybe the tap magic didn't work. Maybe you can pick it up. Maybe you can use a different setup. It'd be sure. probably better. It wasn't as rigid. Yeah, because you don't want to follow the standard and then never change it because where's the continuous improvement, yes. right? So that's really interesting. But you always yeah, want to start with the standard. It. Yeah, absolutely. And without a standard, you end up with these wily veterans who will just do what I do. It's like, right. well, what do you do? Yeah. I don't know. I just do it. And in their defense, I believe that it's just not a natural 
process to follow. We used to just write it all on the prints, yeah. all those notes. Now you got to type it into the computer. As a younger guy, what I think we need to do, because the people who are about to retire, they may not want to go out of their way to share this with you. They're just focused on getting their job done and going home, right? right. So what I think we need to do is not to be all mushy-gushy, but we need to let our veterans know how valuable they are and how much we value what they know. Mm-hmm. I think when you build a personal connection like that, whether it's a machinist or an engineer or any mentor you have in the business, just say, hey, I know you're getting closer to retirement. And before you go, I just want you to know how important it is that I learn everything I possibly can from you. It's really going to be beneficial for my career and my future for me to spend some time with you, for me to be able to ask you questions, would that be okay? Yeah. And you come from that humble position of right. respect and wanting to learn. Because I think sometimes the people who are on the way out almost feel like they're kind of pushed out. Especially in my business, we have digital things that aren't natural to some of the boomers. You're right. I don't know how to work the ERP or the CRM. That's a big roadblock. And it makes them uncomfortable when you're like, well, just do this. Just click here, click here, click here. Well, there's a reverse to that. Right. When you disarm them by saying, hey, what you know is super important and I really want to learn it. Think about the response. They're going to be so much more inclined to share with you and go out of their way and say, hey, I just want to explain what I did right there. Sure. Now, my advice to the older person who's about ready to retire is is really care about what happens when you leave. It's not like you're done. You can just wash your hands of this. Is everyone going to celebrate when you're gone? Oh, that guy was a jerk. He didn't talk to anyone. He was grumpy. Well, there's some of that out there. There is. There is. But do you want to be that person? Or do you want to be the person where 20 years from now, when someone's saying, here's how I got to where I'm at in my career, it was because I was mentored by this person and he shared this with me. And I just think about some of my uncles who've done that and some other leaders in our company. Even if it wasn't hours and hours, just the time they spent was so great. And it's because they were thinking more about how do I make sure that this company continues to grow and that the people after I'm gone continue to add value. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Jason, does money grow on trees? Money doesn't grow on trees, but jobs grow on trees. Those juicy jobs on the Zometry job board. So what is the Zometry job board? Well, Jim, you hate quoting, don't you? I keep telling you got to delegate that. I do. But Zometry has an alternate to that. So if I'm not feeling right about quoting, I can go to the Zometry job board. All the prices are right there. So it's pre-quoted? I can pick and choose whatever I want. It's pre-quoted for me. It's giving me target pricing to what I can do on my shop. All I have to do is say yes or no. Can I make those parts for that cost? And that's the it's juicy simple. job. That's the juicy that's job. That's how you get the juicy job off the job tree. Yeah, there's nothing fancy about it. And the thing is, too, if I take that job, I can get paid in 30 days. So go to zometry.com slash making chips and check it out. Bam. So what about you guys? Uh, one of the solutions that Jim just jumped on and is how do you extract the knowledge? Well, one way to extract the knowledge is standard work documentation, making sure you document it. But any ideas from you guys on some things that we can do that we can be thinking about to solve this problem? So I just had dinner with one of my peers on Monday, and she said that one thing that would be really beneficial, I guess we were talking a little bit about my situation, would just to have someone shadow me or the mm. person that's going to take over shadow all of my responsibilities like for a month wow, just yeah. to see what I'm doing so that knowledge can just in real time you sure. can watch what happens and how this all came out it was really because then funny. they can you, ask questions as they pop up yeah. 
Yeah. This is really funny, guys. I don't think I've shared this with you. So my son, Ryan, as you know, he's our operations manager here. He's probably going to take over for me when I eventually do decide to fully retire. But he belongs to a peer group of second, third generation manufacturing leaders. And he came back a couple of weeks ago and he said, yeah, I told my peers at my peer group the other night that I don't know what my dad does. I think all he does is quoting in the payroll. I, I mean, I absolutely, <laughs> I bust out laughing because he doesn't know anything. What do you mean? <laughs> he left at four o'clock the other day. I was here till six. You know what I mean? You order lunch too. Yes, I order lunch too. Yeah. I didn't realize you do anything more than those three things well, either. So. Then you're pretty oblivious to things. <laughs> and I'm not surprised. But anyway. But that, back to the shadowing point. The shadowing is a great idea. So if he followed you around, he'd be like, what are you doing? And then you wouldn't just show him what you're doing, but you'd walk him through what you're thinking while you're doing it. Exactly. I think it was a really great concept. It's just one thing that we can use. To was that Julie? It was Julie. Julie, yeah. She's yeah. been on the show before. That's yeah. one of our standard practices when somebody retires or leaves our company too, is to go through a shadowing process. So oh, I mean, cool. that makes a big difference, I believe. The other thing that I was thinking about is asking somebody what their plans are in retirement. Mm -hmm. You know, What are you trying to accomplish here? And they might say, I'm moving to Florida or I'm moving to Arizona, or they might say, I just don't want to work as many hours. And you could be like, well, we can solve that. Why don't you move to part-time? Right, And right. that could be a way to solve this knowledge gap as well, where you move them to a part-time position. And it could be where they're doing the same job. Yep. And then you have somebody shadowing them during those part-time positions. But it also could be where they're just they're being replaced, but they're moving into more of a part-time mentorship program. Sure. Yeah. And it could be like an actual part-time employee, or you could pay them as a consultant. Yes. Yeah. And the only difference between those two is more money or less money, right? <laughs> right. Or, you know, like, so you can fire a part-time employee and yeah, I guess you could say, hey, I don't want to work with the consultant anymore. But I think the consulting thing is like, look, I'm going to work when I feel like working. If you want what I've got to offer, it's going to cost this much. But we're part-time, you know, you got to show up, you got to make your hours. Yeah, that's where it's it comes a little down more structured. To, it comes down to a negotiation. Sure. It's like, you know, how valuable is the knowledge that you have to offer? Are you going to make the same amount of money working half the hours because you're billing right. twice yes. as much? Or... Probably. Is the value about the same as what you were making before? So, and it just kind of depends on the negotiation. So, you remember my uncle Alvin? I do. The work Did he retire? Man. He's retired. Oh, fully? And it's sad. So, I called him the other day and he's like, hey, how you doing? He's like, well, you know, I'm bored. I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty bored out here. I worked on my deck for two and a half hours. <laughs> I was going to say two and a half days. <laughs> but I was just thinking like, there's a certain product. You so know, you've got some of this product, that triad product. I think he should. Because he is an absolute expert with this certain product that we have. And it's not something you can just train into somebody else right away. There's a lot to it. And that's his favorite thing to do, too. So if we said, hey, Alvin, can we do, you know, 10 hours with you this week? We got this I'm big sure project. going to be fine. He would be thrilled. Oh, of course he would. And he'd get a little bit of money. Talk you know? about tribal knowledge. That guy has got tons of knowledge. Yeah. We interviewed him on uh, Making Ships some years ago. Yeah, I can't remember the episode number. but I don't uh, either. But man, that guy has got a lot of good... So it sucks to see him leave. And that's what I'm dealing with right now. And what I'm thinking about is how do we get all that out of their heads and into our company for the long haul? So It all starts with communication. It's like having those open dialogue so that you could figure out if you can align your objectives with each other. Sure. So I have one more. This is kind of a little bit more out of the box solution, but yeah, I'm reading this now. All right. When you have marketing people, I always come from a marketing angle because that's kind of how I got started. You are the marketing guy now. I am. Yeah. Jason always wants to call me, what was it? The marketing professor. <laughs> professor. The nutty, the nutty professor. 
when you think about, all right, we have to create content because that's what good marketers do. They create content, they tell stories. And then in this industry, it's really easy to have really shallow content that doesn't teach anybody anything. Right. And so how do you get around that? You have a subject matter expert get involved. So if I'm trying to write some technical article about work holding, zero point locating, or how automation works with work holding or something like that, I can't necessarily expect, although my marketing people are just getting better and better, but I can't expect them to be the expert. No, they don't know. So one thing is you could have some of these veteran people be a part of your editorial team. It's like, hey, I need to pull from you. But are you asking them to write? Probably not write, unless they're great at writing. Okay. Probably not write, but more like this person on our team is going to operate as kind of the journalist, and they're going to pull the knowledge from you, craft it into an article, and you're going to be the final editor. The actual expert's going to be the final editor just to make sure everything was said the right way. They could talk through the process, and then they can review from a quality control standpoint. Love it. Because when everybody's busy, like when you're in your day-to-day grind, this content stuff is an afterthought. It's so valuable for your company if you do it right. It generates awareness. It positions you as a thought leader. It generates leads for your business. But it's never the first thing on your mind when you're a full-time employee because you just have your day-to-day grind. So if you're going to kind of retire people, maybe that's a way for them to stay involved, add value to your company, and do some of the things that they didn't have time to do when they were full-time. Well, it's even like here at Making Chips. I mean, we create content. We want to take wisdom from the metalworking nation and equip and inspire other manufacturing leaders. And if we can find somebody that has some wisdom to bring to the rest of the metalworking nation, we'd even love to have them on Making Chips. Yeah, There's so much manufacturing knowledge out there that could retire. Bring it to us. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So I have a question. I know this is your episode. So what inspired you to do this episode? Because you're a third generation manufacturing leader in a company with other family members. Obviously, you're concerned about something, about losing that tribal knowledge. I'm very concerned. Okay. I really am. It's super stressful. So can we dig into this a little bit more and share what you're feeling in your heart? What's going on? Yeah, there's some real fear. But don't be fearful of it. Just what could happen if we don't do a good job at the transition. At the end of the day, you'll be fine. Yeah, I know. But the way we're set up is we've got a lot of people who are going to retire in the next five years. Okay. We've got this massive... Well, at least you know that, A. Oh, for sure. At least you know that. But then we have a massive gap, maybe 20-year gap. Okay. You know, there's people in there, but not a lot. And then I'm probably the oldest of the younger guys. Okay. I'm on the older end of the younger guys, so like mid-30s. And then all the way down to mid-early mid 20s. Okay, okay. So there's this big gap there where we don't have enough people. Between well, it, 35 it, and 65? Yeah, between 35 and 55. That's well, the ones you're concerned about are, are the 55 to 65-year-olds. But I yes. mean, it sounds like we've got some solutions here, which to reiterate, standard work documentation, partial retirement, not full retirement, and then creating some kind of content strategy. So I think you just need to start some kind of initiative that you're like, this is our five-year initiative and these are the solutions that we're going to bring to the table in order to document this wisdom and make sure it doesn't disappear. Absolutely. And that's what we're doing. But the concern is still there. That is what inspired the episode. In my personal life, I've got, you know, I just talked about my uncle who's gone. My other uncle's got maybe three, four years left. My dad's handing more and more of the responsibility down to my brother and I, and both my brothers and I it's kind of facing us all at once. And it's like, all right, we probably could have done some things a little bit better to be more prepared. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. But what are we going to do moving forward? You have to harvest that information and retain it in some capacity. And we added a third thing, the shadowing. Yeah. Or a fourth thing. So I didn't even have that down, but I really like that shadowing shadowing idea too. Mm -hmm. So 
Uh, we'd like to hear from you. This isn't a super long episode, but it's a very important topic. It is. If you have ideas on how to extract the knowledge from your peers who are close to retirement, please share that with us. You can reach out to us at makingchips.com. Info at makingchips if you want to email. Get to all of us. Yeah. Okay. Well, I have something exciting to say about IMTS is we're going to be on stage for three days in September. IMTS this year is between September, oh, I don't want to get it wrong, 7th through the 15th, I believe, Monday through Saturday. Um, You can go to imts.com, check it out. We'll be there Monday, Wednesday, and Friday of that week, equipping and inspiring in a live stage. So check it out. Yeah, Yeah, you got to book your hotel, you got to register, you got to make your dinner reservations, get all that done because it's going to be here sooner than you think. And we'll have more and more content coming out about IMTS, different topics that you can expect. You can also get the app, the IMTS app, and there you can find everything you'll need to know and actually plan out your show agenda, which is a really good idea. So what do we say to end shows, guys? If you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam. Bam! Thanks for listening to the Making Chips Podcast. Jim and Jason knew that the metalworking nation, the community of world-class makers, needed to commit to a new way of leading to stay ahead of the competition. So, Making Chips was created to fill that void, to give you advice from other manufacturing leaders who can push you to take action. Your manufacturing challenges have a solution. And many of them are at makingchips.com. Thank you.